Ephesians 8, when they were sharing that phrase, the only life that pays, I couldn't help but think this. Who doesn't want to get paid for eternity? I mean, paid good pay. That's what it means if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You'll enjoy eternal life with him and the payment will exceed anything that we could even think or know on this planet and what a joy it is to be able to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, school is all about learning. And you'll notice that in this passage, knowledge is mentioned a number of times. And that's why I gave you a title, How to Have a High Biblical IQ. Now, actually, my second title is the one I'd like to use. And, um, but I wanted you to get to think a little bit this morning. My second title is this. Are you a building block or a stumbling block? The same thing could be a building block that could be a stumbling block, right? If we brought some stones in here that made a pathway at a yard somewhere, we could lay them out, not on this floor, but out in the grass, and it would produce good footing to go. If we stack those stones up at, the, at an aisle, between rows of chairs, it would really be a stumbling block. But you could see in the text here that Paul is very much concerned about what they knew and what they did with their knowledge. We put a high priority on knowledge today. Education's a big deal. And yet, this passage is making it very clear that you can have knowledge up here and have a hard heart here that causes others to stumble and fall by the wayside. So I would like us to look at some important aspects. And I decided, and I need to go quick this morning because we are having communion, um, I wanted to remind you of questions to ask, real quickly, this is just preliminary, questions to ask about gray areas. If we were to go to Romans chapter 14, it wouldn't say gray areas, it would say doubtful disputations. Things that Christians disagree on that they can do or can't do, and that cause disputes. Doubtful disputations is what it's called. You could tell here in 1 Corinthians 8, the context was meat offered idols. And just a quick review, the um, Jewish people would bring animal sacrifices to the temple. And if you check out the history of that, you know that there were usually that animal sacrifice was divided three ways. Part of it was given in sacrifice to God. Part of it was given to the priest and the staff that he had working for him there, for their sustenance. And the third part of it was for that Jewish person to take home and to use for themselves. The concern here is, if you check the history out, that many times the priest was overloaded with meat. And so what he would do is he would take that meat and send it to the marketplace. 
And there was a concern, a question, both here and in Romans 14, about what about that meat? Can we partake of that? Is that something that we should even be around or doing? And you could tell by the context here, there were believers in the Corinthian church coming out of the Jewish faith that felt like they wanted nothing to do with idolatry. Rightfully so. And there were others that said, wait a minute, Paul's saying here, an idol is nothing in the world. No big deal. Don't worry about it. If it's good, if you get a good deal on that meat, buy it and eat it. You follow what I'm saying? But you can see that it was causing a concern. Paul gives a whole chapter here and a whole chapter in Romans 14 to look at this topic. But quickly, let me give you six questions to ask and we'll get into our text. Here are my six questions. First of all, is it or is it needful? Is what I want to do needful? Hebrews 12.1 says, lay aside every weight and sin which does so easily beset us. A weight is not a sin, but a weight is something that isn't needful to run the Christian race. In a physical sense, Nobody in the Olympics running the 100-meter dash wears a sweatsuit. They don't want anything that's a weight that will hold them down. They certainly don't want to put on any ankle weights, anything like that. So do I need it? Do I need this? Vital question to ask. We could talk a lot about all these. I want to cover number six this morning. Number two, is it expedient? That word means useful. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, all things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. In other words, is it useful, beneficial, beneficial, and helpful? The third question to ask, is it Christ-like? Will it help me walk as Christ walks? And um, he, he wants us to... Be very mindful. This is in 1 John 2. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Who's he? Jesus Christ. Are we living, making decisions about things we do and don't do? Are we thinking, would Christ do this if he was here today? Fourth question. Um, Will it be evangelistic? Will it help bring others to Christ? John Varus took us through Colossians on Wednesday night recently. And in Colossians chapter 4, it says, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without. You and I need to live our lives in such a way that nothing we do would hinder our testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing would keep us from listening to the word of God and allowing it to be utilized to win others to Christ. Number five, is it going to build me up spiritually? In another passage, 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says that's similar to 1 Corinthians 6. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify not. Is it going to build me up in my faith walk? And lastly, we come to 1 Corinthians 8. Will I be a building block or a stumbling block? 
And I think what we're going to see this morning in our connection to communion is basically this. If communion is about examining and remembering, I'll give you right up front the key. Are you examining your liberties as you walk with Christ? Are you remembering the love that the Lord Jesus has for you and for me and modeling that same love? That is really the essence of what we see here. And so I want us to look at the, the, the message here, the text, and discover these important things. So everyone is uh, a building block Christian, acknowledges, and then I'm going to give you some key things here to note. First of all, a building block Christian acknowledges the limitations of knowledge. The limitations of knowledge. Did you notice how Paul started out? He says um, in verse 1, we know that we all have knowledge. Have you ever noticed how proud we get about what we know? You're having a conversation with somebody and invariably somebody wants to share something they know that nobody else knows why. Makes us feel good, doesn't it? It does exactly what Paul is talking about here. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity or love edifieth. But notice verse 2. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. Have you ever felt like you've got something handled and you know everything about it? And something comes up and shows you how you don't know? I've shared this with you before, that I was the second man and associate pastor here for more years than I've been the senior pastor. I was always amazed at how, as the second man, I was very confident I always had the right answers for the first man. You know what I'm saying? Just ask me, I'll help you out. You know what I'm saying? And I'm being honest with you. I'm sitting there thinking, well, here's what I would do, Pastor. Now I'm the senior pastor, and I'm not sure I've got any answers at all sometimes. (laughs) And I don't mean that. We have answers in the Word of God. But you know what I'm saying? We need to be careful about our knowledge, because knowledge is only reserved, absolute knowledge, is only reserved for God. God is the only one that always knows all the facts. He not only knows all the facts, he knows all the motives, doesn't he? What's in our heart? What are we thinking? And so it becomes very, very important for us that we understand that one of the limitations of knowledge is none of us have arrived. We need to be constant learners. Don't you tell your high school seniors that? Don't you tell your college graduates that? Don't forget, you may be out of school, but learning continues. And that's the truth. It absolutely does. But the realization that knowledge here in 1 Corinthians 8 is not the answer. It's not the person who could spout off the most greatest biblical theology that they knew at this time. It was 
far different than that. Secondly, secondly, um, building block Christians elevate love over knowledge. You can see that clearly from the text. Look at verse 3 with me. The Bible says, But if any man love God, the same is known of him. You want to know how to know more about God and his ways? Love him more. How do you show you love him? If you love me, keep my commandments, he says. The key for you and I is not to focus on just knowledge, but really focus on our love for God, for the Holy Spirit, for the Lord Jesus Christ. Showing that we love him. We show we love him by how much time we give to him, how faithfully we come to church, how diligently we pray, how we witness, how we meditate on the word, how we memorize. Thank you, Chris, for keeping us memorizing scripture and focused on that. The importance of loving God. If we're going to be a building block Christian, this passage says clearly, elevate your love as a priority over your knowledge. Now, Paul, by the way, Paul is not saying here, don't have knowledge. We can look at the scripture and find out all kinds of passages. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Paul isn't saying be dumb, be ignorant, don't learn. He's saying be careful because knowledge by itself does what? Puffs up. We've looked at that word puffs up several times because Paul uses it a number of times in 1 Corinthians. In fact, I remind you that through the first seven chapters of 1 Corinthians, every chapter has been about the Corinthians being duped by pride, being sucked in to pride in some of its subtle ways and finding their lives distorted and distracted from serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember at first, they were real proud about who led them to the Lord. Well, I got saved under Paul. Really? I got saved under Apollos. Well, I got saved under Cephas. Oh, well, you guys are nothing. I got saved because of Christ. Pride, pride, pride. Don't you wish that when you became a believer, pride became extinct, gone away, no problem? Do you see what Paul is saying here? Even your biblical knowledge can be rooted and grounded in pride, and that pride will cause you to be a stumbling block, not a building block, for the Lord Jesus. Do you see what I'm talking about here? It's clearly in the text. Now I realize none of us are concerned about meat offered idols. Although I am told, and I do know in other parts of the world, that is an issue today. But there are any number of areas of doubtful disputation that we could name and talk about today. My plan is not to go into any of them. You make the application. I want to show you what Paul is emphasizing here is the key to not 
letting your knowledge become a source of pride. Love God. I wrote these down. I already told you, you show you love God by keeping his commandments. Luke says you love God by with your whole heart, soul, strength, and mind. Luke says you show you love God when you love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew says you love God when you don't let money be your master. First John says you show you love God by abiding in him. First Peter says you love God by living humbly before God. John 15 says you love God by laying down your lives for others. The list goes on and on and on. If we're going to be a building block Christian, we don't spend all of our time on knowledge alone, but how we can take knowledge and let it be used to demonstrate love for one another. The context here is not lost people. The context in 1 Corinthians 8 is one believer to another believer. The person that's weak in conscience here is not a person that's an unbeliever. It's a person that hasn't had the maturity yet, does not know yet about meat and idols and those kind of things that there's only one God. But Paul isn't criticizing them. In fact, the bottom line, listen carefully. If you are dealing with another believer and you're on the side that, that has knowledge that I have liberty, I can do this. You know what the word of God says? Don't try to convince the other person to have your same liberty. Give up your liberty. Let me say that again. There should have been multiplied amens. Give up your liberty. Oh man, are we talking about hard things here? What did Paul say? Isn't the bottom line the last verse? If meat make my brother to offend, what does he mean? Meat offered to idols, right? If that meat that I know is nothing, meat doesn't commend me to God. What I eat doesn't make me a better Christian or a worse Christian. Idols are nothing. There's only one God. I can know that all day long. I am convinced of it. I'm walking that way. I know that's true. But if that knowledge affects another believer that would cause them to maybe take steps backward in their Christian walk, begin to do some things that for them would be sinful. The word conscience is used here. And the, the, the phrase is weak conscience, but I think we all know that there are people that have more sensitive consciences than others. What is our conscience? Our conscience is simply an internal part of us that distinguishes right from wrong. And if somebody has a sensitive conscience about something, it's not our job to change that conscience. It's our job to limit our liberty. Boy, I don't like that. That goes contrary to everything that we 
No, in America, America is all about, hey, listen, you just need to know more. If you knew more, then you would do what I do. Don't you get it? Don't you get it? Can't you get the light turned on? That kind of an attitude. That is contrary to what Scripture is saying here. We show that we have a high biblical IQ by showing and knowing that our knowledge is never to go out in a proud, haughty, better-than-you way that would cause somebody else to stumble in their Christian walk. Every church should have a mixture of mature and less mature Christians. That's part of church, isn't it? If you're old like me, it's harder to remember, but I remember trusting Christ at age 15 and having a young man, he was in his 20s. His name was Stanley Nelson. I've lost track of Stanley. I wish I could reconnect. But here's what I'll tell you about Stanley Nelson. He was concerned about Bob Francine. We'd get together and he would encourage us to look at the word of God so that I could grow in my walk. You have something, Christian. You are not mature enough until you're mature enough to limit your liberty to maximize your ministry. That's the key here, isn't it? That is what is so very important. So... As we step off into communion, I want us to, I wrote down these four truths and then a connection to communion. We know God by keeping a soft heart. The problem here, Paul is saying is, you with knowledge, you have a brilliant mind but you have a backbiting heart. You have a hard heart rather than a tender heart toward other believers. True knowing serves others. I can't encourage us enough to every Sunday morning before you come to church, Pray this prayer. Lord, help me to minister to somebody today. Give me an opportunity to serve, encourage somebody, build them up in the faith. Don't look at church as I come, sit on a chair, listen to some speakers speak, and go home. That is not what living as a church is all about. Living as a church is realizing that every single one of us have gifts and abilities and knowledge that could benefit others. Are we demonstrating those things in the spirit of love? Thirdly, I don't know if this makes sense, but I wrote down this. 
No love, K-N-O-W, no love, not love knowing. I find a lot of Christians love knowledge. And again, that's not a negative thing. But if we love knowledge and we don't let knowledge help us be more loving, we've totally missed the mark, haven't we? Pretty quiet this morning. Is this too hard to hear? It is what it says, is it? You tell me now, if I get off base here, if I'm, if I'm not in the word and not accurate by the word, I want to know. But that is exactly. I, um, how many of you here go down to City Union Mission or the Kansas City Rescue Mission? Mike does. Stanley does. We have some teenagers that go. Glenn Booth went all the time. I remember going down there for years. This is years ago. And I was always amazed. It seemed like every time I went, we would preach the word, sing songs, and then we would sit down with the men while they ate food. They don't let them eat supper until they hear preaching. Is that still the way it goes, Mike? It is, isn't the way it works? And so... um, We would sit down with the men so we could be more one-on-one. Invariably, it seemed like I would be sitting by some guy. And I would obviously want to introduce and talk about Bible truth. I met so many people down there that could spout out more Bible verses and knew more about the Bible than a lot of Christians I knew. I was shocked. I'm saying, you know all that? And you're living on the street? And you're coming to City Union Mission to eat and get a bed to sleep in? What in the world's the problem? You know what the problem is? A lot of knowledge. And no love. You with me? Boy, they knew a whole bunch. But they never experienced the love of Christ in their heart. They never experienced loving others, giving themselves up for others, serving others. And here they are living in that desperate condition. Lastly, I've already said it, but the mature believer strives to limit their liberty and build Christ's likeness. In others. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know who you're talking to. I don't even know if you're aware of what other believers are observing in you. But I challenge you. I challenge you this morning. I challenge you in light of communion. Coming up here. To examine your life. I want you to examine your liberty in Christ. Is there any way that your liberty, you're doing what you're doing, living the way you want to live, wearing what you want to wear, listening to the music you want to listen to, watching the entertainment you want to listen to, Is there any of that that could be a stumbling block for another believer? Will you examine your liberty this morning? Secondly, will you remember the love 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. This cross is pretty, it's white, it's nice. But I remind you, the cross that Jesus died on wasn't like this at all. Brutally rough, splinters everywhere. And it wasn't some object in the middle of an auditorium. It was on a hill in front of scads of people. Humiliating human beings because of their sin, which Jesus had none. No sin. Did Jesus limit his liberty? Did Jesus limit his liberty? Did Jesus significantly limit his liberty? He did. That's what we want to remember this morning. And we also want to examine when it comes to our own lives. Have you ever noticed how petty we can be about things we like? You know what I'm talking about? Taking some little thing in our life and making it a big deal. And if somebody gets in our way or somebody blocks that little liberty, oh my goodness, can we throw a hissy fit? Is that how they say it? Paul says, shame on you. If meat, meat. Food. If food make my brother to offend, that is to be turned away from the Lord Jesus Christ. I will eat no meat while the world stands. That sounds like commitment, doesn't it? Paul didn't say, well, if meat make my brother to offend, I won't eat any meat when I'm around him. Does it? No. It clearly says, wait a minute, I never know who's watching. Are you always surprised? If you have children, you shouldn't be. But aware of how other believers are watching. Tuned in to what choices we make. How we live our lives. Where we go. What we put before our eyes. Boy, this passage is a wonderful reminder as we step into communion. Of how you and I need to constantly be mindful of what kind of a block we are. Are we a building block or are we a stumbling block? Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? Deacons, I'm going to.